Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with a friend of mine and a fabulous woman attorney and law firm owner, Latera Scherer, and her business is Scherer Law. And I can't wait to get started with this conversation with her today, because not only are we going to talk about her journey to becoming an attorney and starting her own law firm, but we're really going to get into, as part of our Amassing Wealth series, we're going to get into kind of her side hustle and what it is that she does with some of those profits from the law firm, how she's investing them in real estate. And we're going to get in more of that in a minute. But right now, I just want to say welcome, Latera. It's great. I always love talking with you. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Good. So how are you doing today? You you and I both are in Florida. Are you getting as much rain over in Tampa as we're getting in Orlando? Um, we were, but now it's super hot. Like I can't breathe <laughs> when I go outside. <laughs> so. I know. I went outside a little earlier and I was like, oh my God, this is way too, way too stuffy out here. Um, so I wanna I wanna share with people briefly, just kind of want to go into your journey into what made you decide to be an attorney and what did you what what did you do before you started your own law firm? A lot of people, you know, say, oh, I dreamed of being an attorney when I was a child. And some people say, well, you know, it happened by fluke. So I'm always curious to hear about people's stories of what brought them to the law. So um, I kind of talked a lot my whole life, always had a lot to say, always had a lot of attitude and always ready to argue. So I remember being in like second grade and my dad and teachers would be like, you should be a lawyer because you talk too much. And so, (laughs) (laughs) but when I started saying, because I heard it so much, I started saying, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then it just followed, it just followed me. So I've never really wanted to be anything else. This was like, it was like it. And I mean, it happened. I feel like sometimes I'm living a dream because I'm wow. like, you know, yeah. when you're a kid and you say you want to be something, you don't really think is going to happen. So that's right, how that right. like if you had said you were going to be a baseball player, <laughs> you know, maybe not, but a lawyer, that's fantastic. And it's great how your dad sort of planted that seed uh, right from the beginning with you to aspire to something, to such a great thing, you know? Yeah, I don't even know if he knew he was planting the seed. I think he was really just saying, like, you talk too much and you get <laughs> out your mouth. So <laughs> so parents out there of young children, be careful what you say, because you never know. You start, you better start planting those, uh, pick out the professions you truly want your children to have if you start saying stuff like that. Um, so when did you start practicing law? Um, 2006. 17, I think May of 2017, I was sworn in. Um, I first started out with a small family law firm and I liked the job, but I was quickly let down because, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. The salary is going to be great. Well, no, I started off making like less than I would have made if I worked in a department store. I think. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what they don't tell you in law school. 
<laughs> like that was the one person, the one company that would take a chance on me, a small private law firm. And I mean, I loved them. I liked it. But then it was far away from home. I ended up moving closer into Tampa. Um, so first it was family law, which was in Largo. And then I moved into Tampa, downtown Tampa, where I did um, basically insurance litigation, plaintiff side though. So um, not defense. So I would be going against the insurance companies with homeowners claims. Did that for almost three years, I want to say. And then COVID happened, layoffs happened. Literally, they laid me off on Friday. Monday, I got, had an interview and got a job. Wow. It was like a big, the biggest law firm I've ever worked for. It was a lot for me. And then- What you do there? I, personal injury. And then also I did some insurance stuff as well, but it was um, windshield damages. So, you know, they come out and fix your car. Insurance companies don't pay, that type of thing. Right. And so- right. I realized when I got there, because I'm so used to working in small places where it's so personable and everybody's family. Once I got there, finally making six figures. And I was just like, yeah, no, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you didn't like about it? Um, I didn't like how it wasn't as personal as it was at the other places. Like it, I didn't get the familial connection there. Right. So that was like a down, like a big downfall for me. Um, most of the people in charge and all of the attorneys were males, except me and someone who was related to the owner. So that was also a way in which they treated you different. And, you know, sometimes it's not on purpose, but it's all men. You never have to accommodate. They never have to accommodate women. You know, I had a kid already. So I'm thinking, oh, I'll come to work at seven. I'm going to leave at two. I'm not going to take a break so I can go home, get the kids, cook dinner, all this stuff which anywhere else I've ever worked, that would have been perfect. Like as long as you get your stuff done. But it was like, yeah, no, everybody's here at 7 p.m. You should be here too. Can't your husband cook for the kids? And I'm just like, no, I don't, I want to cook for my kids. I want to cook for my kids. And your babies are little too. Yeah, they were little. So it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't ideal. It wasn't working out for me. And I've always had in the back of my head, like I should own my own business, but I talked myself out of it. I, I started a law firm right out of law school. Really? Yeah. And I never did anything with it. Never told anybody. Um, I paid for a website that I never put out, um, had a logo, registered my business as an LLC and everything. And I got scared. So got a job. <laughs> uh, I think, I think a lot of people, that's probably the story of a lot of people, um, is they sort of have it in the back of their mind that, Maybe I'll start my own business, but then they think, well, I've got to go get experience first. I've got to work with somebody first. Uh, and I I started mine right out of law school, and I still have that doubt in my mind. And I had people telling me that as well. You know, we have other people's stories we have to deal with as well as our own sometimes. Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm going to bet on me, finally. I mean, like, I put all this hard work into other people's businesses. Why can't I put it into my own? And I know I can get a job. So if it doesn't work, I'll just get a job. Easy, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so what, uh, about when did you start your own law firm? Um, it was a little more than, so May of 2021. I yeah, think May 11th, 2021. Yeah. So you haven't, uh, so you've been over a year. It's over a year. Year and a half, right? 
So great, great job so far. I'm excited for you I'm that excited. you've done that. What do you I'm think? <laughs> yeah, are you scared? Um, but you've made a lot of progress in that amount of time as well. So, you know, foundation, the, the foundation year, right? When you're first starting out, you think there's something uh, you finally kind of said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. Do you think there's something that has been in the back of your mind that you sort of had to work through in terms of mindset around it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was, and this was, you know, I'd said it to other people before, you know, don't worry about other people. You got to do your own thing. You can't compare yourself. And here I am worrying about everybody else and trying to compare myself. And I'm just like, well, they're doing this and they have this and this is this. And that's, that's been my biggest hurdle. Um, The days that I'm most stressed is because I'm worried about the things that I don't have, not because I don't have them, but because everybody else has it. And I feel like that's what I need to be doing. And it, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like me beating myself down and, you know, I got to take a moment, step back and be like, okay, this is your journey. This is your thing. You can't really see what's going on behind closed doors with everyone. You only see what they put out. And, you know, most of that, a lot of times isn't really the full truth. Right, right, right. You don't see, or it may be a part of the truth, but you don't see the whole truth. That is such wisdom. That is so wise because uh, even even uh, at, at my age, as long as I've been in business, I know social media can really make you feel that way because everything looks so polished and perfect, but it's literally 60 seconds, 30 seconds, 10 seconds that you're seeing of somebody out there. And, and also, uh, you know, one of the things I always tell people, like, I've got a team of people who help me do things. So it's, it's also that when you're starting out, you're trying to prioritize where do I need to put my time and energy and also recognize that, that there are the things that you see out there are people with the teams of people who have probably been in business for a lot longer than you have. And so you're comparing your behind the scenes with their highlight reel, as they say. So I can certainly, um, understand that. And I, and I always said, I always say that to people, even with me at my age, I've got so many tools in my toolbox to help me with my mindset and help me shift my mindset. And still, if I'm sitting there in a vulnerable state of mind, tired, exhausted from whatever that day, and I'm scrolling through social media, um, it can, it, I can be very triggering, you know, where you just start going, Oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be doing this. And you've already put in a full day's work that anybody would be proud of and, and have that experience. Is that kind of like the experience that you've had? It is, but I recently saw a reel. You probably have seen it. It's a girl. She has like all her stuff set up nice. And then she did like behind the scenes and she's like, this isn't even my house over there. It's messy. (laughs) And so (laughs) This isn't even my house. (laughs) Right. So people are painting these pictures. This is what they're presenting to you. But that's not even what, you know, what it is at the end of the day. So I'm learning to, you know, kind of just almost like a, you know, you're scrolling, just scroll past it. Just keep going. Don't worry about it. Don't look at it. No. Yeah. And, and, and also put it down and walk away from it. One of the best things I did was take uh, over the summer, I took Facebook and Instagram off of my phone and, it, it helped me resist that, that temptation 
to just, it's a habit. You're just picking it up when there's nothing else. And mm-hmm. I went on vacation and for the first time I had carried this, there's this book that I had wanted to read and I'd probably carried it on like three vacations and never read it. And this time, because I didn't have Facebook and Instagram on my phone, I actually read the book and it was great. And I was kicking myself for not reading it earlier. So, I mean, it's amazing what, what that can do. All right. You and I can talk about social media. I've got all kinds of opinions about that, but <laughs> the good and the bad, but that's not why we're here today. And I want to get into why we are here today. And uh, besides for people to get to know you and know more about you. And, and also, why don't you uh, tell us really quick, because I don't think you have what areas you practice now in chair law. Um, personal injury, estate planning. Um, I just added real estate and family law. Yeah, family law. So real estate you've mentioned, and part of the reason why you added real estate, you've told me before, is because you already have a successful real estate business. In fact, uh, you and your husband, you have a trucking company that's kind of his thing that he sort of handles. And then you have a real estate investment business. Um, and you had all of these before you went gung-ho headlong into your law firm business. So I want to talk about the real estate business today because I think there are a lot of people out there who are really interested in real estate investment and want to know more about it as a side hustle or as a full-blown business or whatever. So tell me about Tell me, first of all, tell me where, where did you start with it? When, what made you decide that this was something that you and your husband wanted to invest in? Um, so how I originally started was, okay, we didn't have any kids. Let's think about generational wealth. Like, wealth, like what's something we can do? So you're like, we wrote down all of these things, businesses that you can do, um, like quick startups, franchises, from daycares to car services. We just had a big list of things. And then it got narrowed down to, okay, well, what can you make the most money in the, the quickest? And I would always watch HGTV and I'm like, oh, Hillary Farr has a class. We should go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went, we, we both went to Hillary Farr's class in Tampa and I got there and I'm like, all right, well, I guess you got to pay for some knowledge. Sometimes we pay. And then the information they gave us, I was like, oh, I've read it. Like once I calmed down and I was like, yeah, no, we can't do that. Got our money back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do research. And on my downtime lunch break, I would just start reading books, reading articles. And my husband would be like looking for properties. He was taking his real estate exam at the time. So he would be looking for properties. And then one day there was an open house with some company. I think it's a company you can get like off like um, homes that are not on the market yet. I think it's called Northwestern or North. Hmm, not quite sure. I don't remember what it's called, but <laughs> either way, it's one of, it's one of those places. They send us the email as open house. We can live bid. And I'm like, Oh, it's up the street from work. I'm gonna take my break and I'm going to go. And I went and I bid all by myself, just me. And I'm in my, I'm in my suit with my heels on, like walking through this nasty house. And <laughs> Everybody else seems like they know what they're doing, but I mean, I'm a lawyer, so, you know, we can always make it seem like we know. <laughs> Right. Even if we don't know what we're doing, we've got the suit on. So who's right. going to question us? <laughs> exactly. So I, I put, I wrote my bid down on the paper and gave it to the guy. I got a call like 30 minutes later, like you won the bid. And I was like, I didn't even know what to do next. I, so, I mean, 
but I read all these articles and I'm like, all right, we can get hard money. We got hard money. It's a higher interest rate. I think it can range from like 10 to 15%, but the plan is to pay it off early. And so we did it. We had our first home and I evicted people for the first time. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wow. That was uh, interesting because they wouldn't, they didn't want to leave. So how to do that? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you got a hard money loan. Why don't you tell everybody what a hard money loan is in case they don't know what that is? So um, you can think of it the same way you get a loan. Mm, opposite of a mortgage. And so mortgages are lower percentages. They have a longer period of 30 years. Sometimes you can do 15. But with hard money loans, generally, you're looking at a shorter time period. Um, I think the shortest time period I've seen is three years. Um, wow. at that higher interest rate. They expect you to either flip and sell the property or refinance within, you know, before that time period. Um, okay. It also helps when you don't have a lot of business credit because no one's going to give you money because you don't have business credit. Once you get that hard money loan, you put your, you know, you're the guarantor. So you're putting yourself on there as the guarantor, you put your business first. So you want to make sure you have your EIN and everything. You put your business first. And then after you do maybe two or three with the same company, what they end up doing is lowering your interest rate. And they also lower the amount of money you have to put down. So your credit is almost like the you build the credit from the relationship that you build with these lenders versus someone like, oh, well, I see your credit is 610 or, you know, Six yeah. it's not enough for you to get this property. But when you work with them so many times, they kind of will extend themselves to you in a different manner than the first time. So, so uh, when you, when you did this, you got your hard money loan. What was your plan then? Was it to like, you see an HGD, HGTV where you fix it up and you sell it? Well, <laughs> the plan was to fix it up. And then I call my financial advisor, like as soon as I did it, I'm like, okay, what should I do? So, you know, they run the numbers and they're like, oh, well, if you keep it for this amount of time, it's projected to get this amount of money. But if you sell it, he kind of put it side by side. And it's like, all right, we should keep it for a few years, have get tenants in there. So I get, my dad's a contractor. We did like a, a quick flip that was good enough to get people in and, that's how we did that. And I think I just sold it. We actually just sold it. So we bought it in 2018 and sold it at the end of 2021. So you had a renter, you fixed it up enough to get a renter in. It was a duplex. So two renters. Mm -hmm. What's that? I had, it was a duplex. So there were two tenants. Oh, two renters. Awesome. So you got two tenants in. So it was cash flowing for a while. Mm -hmm. Did it cover, did it exceed the hard money? It well, did. It did. It did. But what I will say is the worst mistake that we made with that was not understanding exactly how hard money worked. And we didn't refinance. We should have refinanced. Sometimes you can refinance in 14 days. It depends on what's in your paperwork. But right. we should have at least, at the least, refinanced within that first year because we would have saved several, several thousand dollars that we paid in interest. Wow. Wow. So you really, you basically really just jumped off and jumped into this thing and said, we're going to, we're going to build our wings on the way down. Yeah. Um, you, one of the things that you mentioned, I want to backtracking in, uh, in case people missed it is that you actually formed a business entity for this and bought this property through this business entity, even though you personally guaranteed it, mm -hmm. you, the, the loan, you, you bought it in the name of a business entity, correct? 
Yes. Okay. So you set up an LLC, I'm assuming. Yep. I set up an LLC. I just went to sunbiz.com, set up an LLC, um, paid what, I don't know. I want to say it's like three something or something like that. Pay whatever the fee was, um, got an IRS website, got an EIN number, got a bank account. And I literally, we did all of that. And I think we did that in like September and I didn't go to the house until like December. I didn't see my first property until December, but I was like, let's just get it set up. And so if something comes through, like we'll be ready. Yeah. 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 You, and this, and this is not the first time you've done that. You did that with your law firm too. You, you put your dreams out there in by going ahead and establishing the entity and the thing. And then, you know, and then let's see what the universe leads us to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yours led to uh, a, a, a shabby sort of first buy, but at least you were able to cut your teeth on that. Right. And what is one, one of the things I think is really the advantage that you have besides your ability to take risk, which I think is a huge advantage. Your, your kind of attitude, we can do this. Like, I love the enthusiasm, right? I mean, and I think that's the key in business, right? Um, But having your dad as a contractor, I think one of the biggest challenges that people have in the real estate market these days is getting a contractor and having that relationship. But you already had that relationship. How was that having your dad as your contractor? Um, It was different because my dad lives in D.C. So he came down for two weeks and stayed with us and got it done because we didn't really know people. And I mean, but now we have a whole Rolodex of people that we call. So it's different now, but it, it was, it was a little, it was a little stressful because my dad didn't live here. So right. I didn't get to walk the property with my contractor as I would do now that I'm more like we're more seasoned now. So we know what to do. We don't walk a property without a contractor, without an electrician, you know, without someone that can look at the pipes and all that, all of that stuff. So we try to, we go to a property it's us plus maybe three to five other people, depending. So when you're first checking out whether or not you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what, so where did you go from there? You had that first property, which you've just sold, but you had tenants in it. So where did you go from that point? Oh, that, that rental property kept us bound for about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like, you know what? And, and it was slow, just kind of like it is with my law firm now that it's new which is why I'm, I understand what it is and I'm okay right. with it. Yeah, but so the first year and a half, we will make like maybe seven to $800 profit if people pay their rental time per month. So yeah, so you have that yeah. too when you have tenants, but you can't, prov- you don't know how they're going to be. So um, that's that. We, I was just like, you know what? I don't want tenants anymore. I hate it. I can't do it. I just want to flip. That's it. But then, you know, years pass and um, my husband, he's working too at another um, job where he was in finance and he was at work all the time. He had certain days he had to work late um, because I was a lawyer. I had a little bit more leisure time and I'm like, we should really like, we should do it. So we had the baby. We were all, we were both out on leave and we were like, all right, let's do it. We're not going, you're not going back to work. Like we're not going back to work after this. So <laughs> So, you know, so we're turning into a full on business. Yeah. And then, so we, I want to say we moved from our house that we were in. Well, we, yeah, we moved from our house that we were in. 
we made that a rental property. Then we sold the first duplex. And then just this year, and that was like in the first three years, that's all we did. But then we get into 2022, we um, are in the process of flipping two homes in Atlanta. We have flipped one in Largo, um, Largo, Lando, Lando Lakes is what it was, Lando Lakes. And then we have one right now in Tampa that we are waiting to get bids on. So, but it didn't happen overnight. Like this just happened. So to have five deals in the year is we're only halfway through. That says a lot. And I'm just like, you know what? I got it. That's why I have to stick it out with my law firm because I know how, how business works. Um, right. Yeah. We also just started doing like um, JV contracts where we will basically um, bring other people in if they want to be investors as well. And they can come in and put in and split profit or do a percentage and things like that. And with that, we kind of started a program. So now people are able to get in. And um, if say if you, the down payment is, I guess, 40,000, which would be like a general down payment. So if you were to put in 20,000 and we put in 20,000. So at the end, when we look at the numbers, we split every, we up, we upfront everything in the beginning, except your down deposit, your deposit. But when you look at the numbers at the end, we split it all. So everybody pays everything evenly. And so then you're able to walk away with not only the money, but also you're included in all of the emails and you get to come to the meetings. And when we have lunches and when we're doing reno and we're hiring the people, you get to come in, you get to be a part of that. So you get hands-on learning versus someone talking to you on a screen and you can't ask questions. You're actually in it. And um, we found that people like that a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a, that's that whole thing you didn't get when you went and you looked at what Hillary Farr was offering. You were like, I'm going to go create the thing. It's kind of like why I started my coaching business is I'm going to go create the thing that I didn't get that I thought I was going to get or that I wanted and thought would really mm -hmm. help me. So you've created that now and it's mm -hmm. a way to expand your business as well. So let me ask you, what, what was it like to what made you decide to expand into other markets? Because I've heard different things. I've heard people say, you know, I found a market where I could afford to buy and do buy into because there are a lot of markets that we're priced out of. And then I've had other people say, buy where you are, because that way you can go down the road. So instead of buying where you want a vacation home and then having to deal with that property offsite, and all of that by where you are and grow your business that way. So you can get to things if you need to, what you've now branched out in some different places. What was your thinking behind that? What, what made you guys decide to do that? Um, typically we buy what we can afford. And when I, you know, people say afford, you think of just money, but no, if my time can afford it, if, you know, if it makes sense, if my mental space can afford it, like if it can fit, if it can't fit in every, in any way that we would have to pay, cause you know, you paying your time yeah, um, and things like that. If it's taking up space in my life and I don't have it, I don't have the time or I don't have the space. So we kind of look at the overall picture. So it's just almost like, if it makes sense, then we do it. Um, we've expanded our contacts to different States as well. So we don't have to be in the state. Usually we go for closing and then, 
yeah, we go for closing when we're buying, we go for closing when we're selling. What is that? Uh, so when you expand your contacts, how do you go about sort of building that network? You've also got a Rolodex full of people now that you can call on for contract services and stuff like that. So how did you go about expanding and developing your network? Because I really think that's the, that's the big key to success in the real estate market is mm -hmm. having a good network. What happens is it's all these little free um, companies that you can reach out to and they'll send you, so to speak, leads. And the leads are actually free. And it'll be like, you know, this property here in Plant City, it's X, Y, and Z amount of money is here, is there, whatever. So you may not like it, or you may be interested, but then you end up meeting them where you guys talk and you start asking questions and they're like, oh, well, if we get another one, I'll let you know. So you become a part of their contact, they become a part of yours. So if I ever saw something that they didn't send me, well, then I'll reach out to them like, hey, have you seen this? Do you know these people? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I do. You should talk to them. And when you call, ask to speak to so-and-so. So now you got two or three people. And then you're like, oh, do you know somebody that does this? And they're like, no, but so-and-so might. So now you're on like five and six people and you're just building and building and building. And then what happens is after so many months, sometimes years, some relationships are built faster than others. But after that time, they're like, they, they coin you as the go-to person for X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that you gave them the information for. And so we're all just sharing contacts, but it's about being, you got to, you know, talk to people and not be afraid because someone will see us doing a rental and they'll walk right up to us and be like, oh, Hey, I saw you're getting a new roof. Next time you should look at my company. And we, so, um, it goes like that. Also, people, they kind of like sleep on like um, Angie's list and things of that nature or handyman.com. So these people in there, they're running their businesses through these third parties. And, you know, they have to give them a percentage whenever they run through there. But once they, once they leave, they give you a business card. So now you can do business directly with them. And if they like you enough, they're like, oh, you did this. Can I get on? So that's why we started doing joint ventures. J when I said JV contract, it stands for joint venture. But that's why we started doing JV contracts. We met these guys. They were great. They had just gotten in the area from New York. And they were like, oh, we're interested. We want to learn. Well, the best way to learn is to do it. You got money? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> You got money? Oh, right. We're in it. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we got half of the next, the next down payment. All right, we did it. They literally flipped that house in a week. Wow. Yes. And wow. so in all of their contacts now, we have all of their contacts. So you just got to kind of get out there talk to people. Don't be afraid. Share what you do and who you are. When people are like, hey, how are you? I'm so-and-so. And depending on where I am, sometimes I'll say I, I'm in real estate. Sometimes I'll say I'm an attorney. It just depends on how it, you know, how it fits in the moment. But Overall, not being afraid to get out there, speak up and introduce yourself. And, you know, if you need I'm help. I'm sure being an attorney has really helped you in this real estate business, too. I think that's something that people often overlook about their, their, the advantage that we have as lawyers. Even if you don't have a law firm, don't practice, you, you take that education with you and it helps you in life in a way that other people don't have that because you can do for yourself. I mean, for us, um, through the years, it's been fantastic because there's, you know, 
I read contracts, I can write contracts, I read contracts, I understand them. It's a, it's a whole, you know, skill set that we have that's that is at an advantage. And I think for real estate, that really probably put you at a tremendous advantage because if you had gone in without being a lawyer and not having that knowledge, and then suddenly you got a stack of closing documents and you're like, what? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I told my husband, put me on the website as in-house counsel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're, what do you guys have like a certain goal that you set as far as we want to have this many doors or we want to have this type of, are there any, uh, are there any, do you have a specific, like, I know some people love multifamily and some people like single family. Some people want to get into commercial. Some people try commercial and then they go, we'll never do that again. Like, have you guys had any of those sort of discussions and moments um, that you decided that there's anything you just won't do or anything you absolutely want to do? Um, we definitely want to get into um, multifamily units, like apartment buildings. Um, we are working on building our network enough with enough people to basically form an investment group, so to speak, so that we all can go in on it and um, get an apartment building. So we're looking to do that in the future. We always see them. They're always out there. So I don't think they're going anywhere. So we're taking our time to make sure we do it with the right team. Yeah. Um, what I think I won't do anymore probably is tenants. Um, Didn't we like that tenants. at all. Yeah. We have good tenants now. Um at the um, one rental property that we have left and they pay on time. They're sweet people, but it's just a lot of work that you have to put into being a landlord is a lot. It can be a lot. Something breaks, they're calling you. Um, Somebody can't pay because X, Y, Z happened. They're calling you. So you go in, you do your walkthrough, like your one to your walkthrough. There's a hole in the wall. No one knows how it got there, how it got there. You know, you send invoices. Sometimes they don't. It's just too much. And I think that the biggest thing for us, I, when we first got into real estate, it would have been better had we hired a hired someone to handle the tenants. Right. I, we I from everything that I've read and researched. Uh, property management, getting that property management company. And there are some markets where it's so cost prohibitive that it doesn't make sense, but there are other markets where it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it definitely And in like a must-have, especially if you've got multiple places and you know, all of that. Um do you guys have a certain goal that you've set out between the two of you? Said we've this when we've done this, we feel like we've made it. No, not really. I feel like we're just like, let's do it. Let's, what, what else can we do? And I'm, you know, me, I am very entrepreneurial spirited. I don't know how this happened because I'm the biggest scaredy cat you would ever meet. I'm scared of everything. I'm like, oh no, I don't know. But then I started like three businesses in one year, like a psycho, but yeah every time I every time my husband and I go to our accountant he's like okay what business did the Frederick start this year what are you guys doing this year um but I do think it's very interesting because you are you've said you know I'm a talker and I was asking you how you sort of made these contacts and a lot of it is very much all of it is talking to people and not being afraid to pick up the phone and say hey I saw this deal what do you think about it and you know, that kind of thing. 
and really sort of finding people. And also, I'm sure you've had some people that you're like, yeah, I never want to bring them into my circle again. You've had to learn that, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, the hard way. But I find that interesting because you're also, I know you because, you know, you're, you're a member of the, our community. And, um, I would say that you are really an introvert at heart in that you like your, you know, you like your time where you're like in your office doing your work and you get energy. I mean, like, that's more what I think your personality is, but Mm -hmm. you also don't let that stop you from having conversation. You don't have fear around that having conversations with people. What, where do you think that comes from? What do you think that, do you, I mean, would you assess yourself the same way? Yeah, I, I like to say I am a introverted extrovert, I want to say. <laughs> so um, when, when it's time or when I finally like pep myself up to do it, I'm, I'm, if, I, if I've committed to it, I'm talking to everybody. I'll talk to my own side of the road with a sign if, <laughs> if it's the appropriate time. But then other times I'm just like, all right, I got to be by myself. I got to get this together. I can't think. I can't see anybody else. I don't want anybody to ask me anything. So I've, I've learned over time and I've recently kind of just learned like in the last year or so who I am and what I need to do to preserve who I am so that I'm always true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm cool with being an um, introverted extrovert. That works. Yeah, the way, well, did you ever read Susan Cain's book, Quiet? I have it. Okay. So basically Susan Cain wrote this book about introverts. It's it's an enormous book and it's about um, being introverted. And she defines introversion and extroversion as we get energy from. So introverts get energy from being alone and extroverts get energy from being around other people. I find that very, a very interesting way. And, And also introverts, just because you're, you get energy from being alone doesn't mean that you are shy or socially phobic or anything like that. It just means that you need that alone time to recharge. I've known some people who are really extroverted and they, they're the people who are always throwing the party. Their house is always full of people. They're people who always want to have people over and be around people or go out and be constantly on the go and be around people. And it's because they're getting charged. They're getting energy from that. And when they're alone, they don't get charged. It's it's the thoughts in their head drain them or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely an introvert. And yet I love conversations with people. I love to talk to people and meet people and pick their brains and all those kinds of things. So I think it's very interesting. There There are a lot of people out there who have some great networks and are are not afraid of public speaking or talking to people, but you just need that time. You still need that time where, like you said, I need to think, like, I can't think with all this Mm -hmm. distraction around me. You need that time to recharge. And, um, but I do think it's really interesting that you you also can't be shy about talking to people and making those relationships. Mm -hmm. Have you guys gone to any sort of meetups? Cause I know that's a very popular sort of thing is real estate meetups. Um, My husband will he'll do that more. So, um, I try to separate in this heart when you have so many businesses, because people see your face and they match your face with a business or with something that you do. And so I try to stay behind the scenes a lot with real estate because 
I want to, I'm trying to promote my law firm right now. And so when people see me, I want them to say, oh, that's the guy that owns that law firm. Remember not, oh, she does real estate because I don't really need help with that right now. So I kind of, I kind of shut out um, real estate and I just work behind the scenes, let my husband talk to all the people and go to all of the things dealing with real estate. And then I do all the things with law. I'm smiling because I remember I, when I started my coaching business, I would be, I was involved in a networking group that, and I was there as a, a, co- a business coach. And I worked with different types of businesses at that point. And because people, when they're networking, they don't really want to talk to you about what it is that you do, especially if they know that they need you or they should hire you or whatever. They don't really. So when I was, when I had my, had my own business as a lawyer and I was out networking as a lawyer, people didn't really ask me much about whatever. But when I was networking as a coach, what they would do is, oh, and I said, I'm, and I'm an attorney. And they would say, what kind of law do you practice? And they would want to go into all those details because it wasn't the thing that I was there to be, you know, networking uh-huh. about. They were trying to find that other thing to talk to me about because they were afraid I was going to sell them into coaching or whatever. So it is very interesting how people can only put you in a certain bucket in their mind. Like there's only one spot you can be in, in, in the way that, you know, they can identify you. Um, and, and you see that a lot with moms, you know, when moms are involved in things with their kids, I've known uh, attorney moms who have gone for years to their kids' games and people, the other parents don't even know what they do for a living. Because I've said to them, why don't you, you know, why don't you, you know, share that with other people? Because you probably get a lot of business that way. And they're, yeah, they don't know. They have no idea what I do for a living. So it's really interesting. People sort of find that way that they know you. Uh-huh. It's it's weird because I, I'm in a lot of mom groups and we go out a lot and I, I've told them what I do, but then I'll still get the question like, what do you do again? And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's because, and it'll be, like you said, it's usually people who could probably use your services, not in a negative way, but people don't want to seem, want to be sold. They don't want to seem like, oh, they got me. So they try to distract it or for distract themselves from it or just forget about it in general. So they yeah. don't have to be faced with the fact like, okay, she has something that I need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, before we wrap up, I'd like for you to share maybe if you were to go back to yourself when you started into this, in the, down this journey, this real estate journey, what do you wish you had known that you know now that you could go back and tell yourself? I wish I knew that money wasn't something that I needed to be afraid of. Um, wow. I was afraid to have too much. I was afraid that I'll have too little. And what that did was just created all types of other anxiety on top of just anxiety from life. And it prohibited me from moving forward in a lot of areas of my life. And it also stressed me out. Like I didn't even look at my bank account. There were times where you could, you would ask somebody can ask me, you can ask me like, how much money you have in your bank account? I wouldn't know because it stressed me out. Whether I had a lot or if I had a little bit, it, it didn't matter. 
what well, stressed you out about it? I felt like, well, if I had a lot, then I had to figure out what I needed to do with it. And then I would make the wrong decision. And then if I make the wrong decision, then I'm going to have nothing. But then if I had a little bit, it's like, gosh, I can't even afford to do what I want. You know, so, yeah. so yeah. It, it was, was never, really it was never something where you looked at it and you went, oh, perfect. Nope. Yeah. I think I you're always, not alone in that. I have a lot of conversations with women business owners who don't want to talk. When Most people, when they first hire me, they don't know that much about their money because mm-hmm. I ask, I ask money questions right from the beginning and they don't know much about their money. And it is because there's this sort of fear of looking at it. And I, and the part of the reason I'm doing this series is because I know there are women out there, women law firm owners who are now making money in their law firm business. And the next question they have to face is what's next? What else? What do I do with this money? Especially if you've grown up in a, you know, working class, family and you've never had these kinds of generational wealth that you're building, you and your husband are building, there is that question of what do we do with our, what do we do with our money as we start making it? Um, and in your, in your case, it's been kind of a, an interesting journey because you guys started out with the goal of making money, but also there's fear around that idea of what if we make money? And do you think that that stops people from making all that they could make? I think so, because you get so wrapped up in your own thoughts and emotions and it, and you start to, it's almost like stifling your growth. It's just like, well, okay. And then you're thinking, so, not that you shouldn't think about money. I don't want to, but you think about it too long. You think about it too hard. You put all these hypotheticals in. And then by the time you're done thinking about it, you've either talked yourself out of it or missed the opportunity. Right, right, right. That's huge. I think that's huge in real estate as well, Mm -hmm. you know, because the deals, deals are moving fast. They're coming and they're going and you can very quickly talk yourself out of something because there's always, there's always good reasons to talk yourself out of something. I find the same thing with coaching. People talk themselves out of coaching because they they think too much about it instead of, you know, just like running the numbers because they just don't run the numbers. They go, well, if I did that, well, look how much money I'll make back. My return on investment is, you know? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Grant Cardone? I haven't. Okay. Grant Cardone, he has a book called the 10 X rule. And I cannot, I, I listen to audible. I listen to books on audible. So I have a hard time listening to Grant Cardone. He's a little too enthusiastic for me. Um, but he, the 10 X rule, I have listened to, uh, a good part of that book. The 10 X rule is this idea that we don't think big enough. So what if you wrote down your goal? Let's say we'll use the example of a million dollar law firm business. If I have a, if I write down that a million, I want to make a million dollars a year in my law firm business. And he says, you should take, and you should 10 X, whatever it is that is your goal. And so you get the emotional exercise of that, you know, why is it that you're only settling for a million dollars a year when you can have $10 million a year in your law firm business? And so we, we self-limit through our limiting beliefs. And so he says, apply the 10X rule to everything. So if there's something that you are wanting, you're saying, 
this is our goal. Well, let's 10X that and see how that feels. And I think for most people, the first time you do that exercise, you're freaking out. You're like, I don't like, what would I do with this? I don't even know. And because you can't, but the more you play around with this kind of exercise, the more you stretch your capacity, your mental and emotional capacity for wealth. What do you think about that? I've actually heard of the book. I know someone went to a conference not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I think before COVID. Um, but no one ever, I never heard anyone explain like what the book is about. Now, when I listen to you talk about it, it brings up a whole bunch of different emotions for me. Cause I'm like, <laughs> panic. Uh-huh. Cause it's just like, well, if you 10 times everything, then it's like, you'll never have enough. Then you'll, you'll feel like you're never reaching any goals. And if you're a person like me, like I got to cross it off that list. Like I got to <laughs> highlight it and say it's done or I don't yeah. know, scratch it out, yeah. delete it. Something has to happen for me to know that it's done. And if it's not, I'm like, gosh, it's, I never met it's that why I said, it's why I set the million dollars. Like to me, a, a million dollars a year for your business is it's that first mental hurdle. I think it's that transition from once you realize as a lawyer, you, that first time you make six figures, you realize that that's really not what you're wanting because most people say, I really want a six figure income, not six figures in revenue, right? But we think to ourselves, I'm going to make that, that's income. No, it's not, it's revenue, right? And then your income is $50,000 or whatever. And so the reason I set that million dollars out is because I think that's the first real hurdle of where you go from solo to CEO, where you go from having, you know, your freelance business or your, you know, me doing all the work business to actually, to get to a million dollars, you really have to have expanded your mental and emotional capacity for wealth and expanded your team and expanded your systems. So it's a real growth period going from that first six figures that you made to the million dollars. And then that's why I don't introduce those sort of bigger concepts because but my clients who've passed over the million dollars, now we're playing with those sort of next steps. But what is, so if you got this and this is great and you're getting a lot out of it, it's what you want. And also what else is possible? What else is possible? I haven't even considered. It's that kind of thing. So I do think we have to, uh, we have to take steps and enjoy the journey along the road. Like it's the money's not an end and of itself. The money is about the life that you want whatever that is, you know, whether it's not worrying about money, you know, that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> so sometimes that's the work, right? Not worrying about mm-hmm. money. Um, Latera, as always, I've enjoyed this conversation with you. And I think you've shared, you shared a lot of information for people who may be considering uh, real estate as an investment. I know a lot of people are these days and and it's going to be very interesting with the interest rates having risen the way they have, if we're going to see that contract or, or if we're going to see the real players just keep pushing through or what's going to happen. What are your thoughts on that? The latter. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think it's going to, I don't, you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm waiting. They're waiting for that time to buy. But the time is now because what's going to happen is, you know, interest rates are a little higher now, but properties are lower now interest rates will go lower and the prices will go higher. We're not going to backtrack. I mean, even if we go through a recession, it's not going to be forever. Eventually the prices are going to go, are going to come back up. And if you don't have the money now, 
what makes you think you'll have it in a recession? That makes no sense. So, so I mean, it's that it's that instead of timing the market, it's time in the market. It's the same thing with real estate as it is stock market. It's the time yeah. in it. Um, you know, and and just jumping in with both feet and learning it as you go along. That's one of the things that about investing. You could read all the books, no matter what you're investing in. You could read all the books. Same thing with your business, owning and starting your business. You could read them, but until you're actually the clarity doesn't come mm-hmm. until after you've taken action. And then you've either learned a lesson or you've you've you know won something or whatever, right? But the clarity comes from taking the action, just that consistent action. And so it sounds like that's what you guys have been doing in your real estate business is just acting and then say, what do we learn from that? What do we do next? I mean, it's so fascinating to me that your first piece of property, you won the bid and then you're like, oh, now I have to go figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's how it was. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to connect with you? Well, how can they do that? Um, we can do a few different things. I am on Facebook and Instagram. So, um, Instagram, it is share law firm. I would, and Facebook is the share law firm. And then you can also connect via my website. Um, if you are interested in real estate, you can um, make an appointment. There's a real estate tab there. Um, www.thesharelawfirm.com. I know it's long, but But that's uh, it. Well, these will all be included in the show notes too. These links are included. So people, it won't be so difficult for people to find them. So that'll be good. Thanks so much for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. It took us a little while to get here and I'm glad I finally got you in this conversation Yay. because I've had so much fun. And thanks again. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.